Last year, Miss USA 2019 TV correspondent and lawyer Chesley Christ, who died suddenly after jumping from a New York high-rise building, penned this article in Allure. In the piece, she described the pressures she felt to achieve. She wrote, when I graduated from college and opted to continue my studies at Wake Forest University, I decided I'd earn a law degree and an MBA at the same time. Why stop at two degrees when you can have three? I joined the trial team at school and won a national championship. I competed in moot court, won essay competitions, and earned local, regional, and national executive board positions. I nearly worked myself to death, literally, until an eight-day stint in a local hospital sparked the development of a new perspective. She continued, I discovered that the world's most important question, especially when asked repeatedly and answered frankly, is why? Why earn more achievements just to collect another win? Why pursue another plaque or medal or line item on my resume if it's for vanity's sake rather than out of passion? Why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness? Folks, the said, she died at the age of 30. She left a note. In the note, she asked that all of her belongings uh, be given to her mother. Uh, this is something that we have seen uh, from uh, a variety of uh, folks. We've seen this take place uh, all across the country. Joining us right now uh, is psychologist Dr. Jeffrey Gardier and also licensed professional counselor Robin May. My panelists still with me as well. I mean, this is <clears throat> the reason I want to have this conversation is that first off, first off, um, we do not know why what took place. We don't know that. We haven't heard from her family. We haven't heard from anyone talk about uh, what she uh, had been dealing with. Yesterday, we had Dr. Troy, uh, Troy Byron talking about uh, people who do uh, commit suicide. And she, she talked about typically how we don't hear from them for a couple of weeks between uh, that, that, that period when they, they make that decision. And one of the things that Chesley said in her last Instagram post, and apparently was posted around uh, 6.30, Sunday morning, and police say it was around 8.15 when she jumped from the, jumped from the 29th floor. Uh, she uh, posted this where she said, um, may this day bring you rest in peace. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to start with you because, again, let me be clear. We do not know why this decision was made. But for her to write that piece, talking about these pressures, talking about how she felt as she approached 30, her, that her life was ending we're talking 30 we're talking about a, a person and and many people um who are part of that profile of being told by society that they need to achieve 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 they need to prove all of these things in order to be able to keep up with everyone else and to be uh, eligible for these accolades that they need to give of themselves one million percent. But what we're not telling them is that they need a work-life balance. What we're not telling them is the importance of happiness and being connected to family and taking care of oneself. And once you get certain accolades, making sure that you have built in a system where you can be, where you can decompress, de-stress, and take care of yourself, mind, body, and spirit. 
Robin, she also talked about bullying. How she had to deal with people who were coming on her pages who felt that her physique was too muscular when she won Miss USA. Who talked about her hair, her skin tone. Serena Williams has had to deal with that. And Venus, people who have been critical of them. Oh my goodness, you look like men as well. And, 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 and she talked about how that had an impact on her, those comments from people. And so here you have this incredibly gorgeous woman, extremely smart, extremely talented, who is talking about how that even was taking a toll on her, someone who we would think is supremely confident. So let me say this. Um, our soul has a capacity. Let's just sit right there. Our soul has a capacity. There's only so much our soul can take. And we were not created to be able to handle the critique of the entire world. And that is what social media has created, where we can literally, particularly when you're someone like this beautiful young woman who has been elevated into a position where people around the world see her, the critique of the world would be daunting for someone who is 60. Surely it's daunting for someone who is 30. And so I can absolutely understand how what we know are trolls can over time have an impact. Now, one of the things people who are often in the public eye are told by those who have been there much longer, stay out of your comments, because over time it can be exhausting. And literally, Roland, it is heartbreaking but it is not uncommon. Um, I have often young women who sit in my office at 25 and 30 and feel that they have not hit, if they have not hit a certain level of success, then they are already a failure. And so I believe this conversation is really about us redefining what our, what winning means, redefining what success means, but more importantly, learning to reevaluate our expectations and how much access we give others to us. To the, uh, to the specific point about comments as it relate to women, because frankly, how women deal with that is far differently than how men deal with it. But on this particular yes, point absolutely. of the pressure, the pressure to succeed, uh, I mean, we're seeing this, um, and, and speak to this if you can, we're seeing this showing up in junior high and high school. We're seeing it in elementary school. You do, Look, <clears throat> my six nieces were with us. My wife told them point blank, y'all got one activity a year. I'm sorry, a semester. It's six of y'all. Ain't no way in hell you're going to be doing five different things individually. We ain't going from soccer to basketball to ballet to band. No, we ain't doing all that. And, and, and so... Well, can and, I just jump in? Because let me tell you, I'm living that, right? I have three daughters. I am literally living that right now. I have a seven-year-old. I have a 12-year-old. And I have a 14-year-old. Roland, right now at this moment, my husband just ran from the school to take my 12-year-old to gymnastics. He had to go back and pick her up after gymnastics to take her to track. And so I think really even you saying that, yes, I had to sit my 12-year-old down and explain to her, listen, you literally felt like you were overwhelmed carrying all of this stuff 
last year. And so it is our responsibility to jump in and help you understand that at 12 years old, you don't have to carry all of that. But again, it goes back to the expectation that is put on not only adults, to your point, but to children. So that's why I said this is a conversation about redefining what success looks like. And success is not, hear me, this is very important because I believe what has happened is that success is linked to status and what's in your checking account. Oh, yeah. Instead of success being linked to who you are as a person. And Jeff, before you even get to the status of the checking account, it's, it's look, you got to get that scholarship. You got to get that full ride. You got to go to the Ivy League school. You got to go to that top school. And so if you're at elementary school, junior high and high school, you're like, damn. Yeah, and that's part of the issue. Uh, this is absolutely correct, what we're hearing. This is a problem where we are, uh, in many ways, programming our kids towards success, 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 but we're not working with them around their mental wellness. If there's one thing we've learned about COVID is that children have psychology, children have personality, children have emotions. And if we're not addressing those things with regard to all of the activities, with regard to all of the academics, and we're just loading them up for success, but not addressing how they feel about certain things or talking about that, then those things become internalized. And as they grow up, there's a profound sadness and anger and instability that can then put them at risk for serious emotional uh, issues as well as even suicide. Uh, Jeff, I know you have to go, so I want, I want to ask you this before you leave. That is, all right, somebody's watching. They're a parent or there's someone who is thinking the same way what, what, what Chesley is saying. What do you tell them to do right now, how they can sort of slow themselves down? I think it's absolutely important to sit down with your child through a series of conversations and listen to what they have to say. Listen to what their dreams are. Listen to the things that may be bothering them, the things that are causing them any kind of stress, and then address that with them as to how you can find more of a balance with them. Children have a lot to say out of the mouth of babes. I think we've forgotten that, but I think we have to learn about that all over again. Jeff Gard, Dr. Jeff Gardier, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Look forward to having you back. Uh, we're going to keep the conversation going here uh, with Robin bringing my panel in as well. So, again, Jeff, thanks a lot. Uh, safe travels to you. Th this is, it, 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 it was so heartbreaking to, to see this story because, again, you're looking at all of, you, you're looking at, on the outside looking in, what you're seeing is this young lady, again, 30, lawyer, MBA, Miss USA, on on correspondent on extra, and you're sitting there going, "Oh my God, you've got all so much ahead of you." You look at these photos and you look at her laugh and her smile, but the reality is, she was carrying around something that was so heavy, that was so difficult. She talked about often several times dealing with anxiety, where for her, Robin, the only escape from it was death jumping 29 floors off of a building. You know, um, when I look, I mean, I'm going to be honest, Roland, I do this for a living. 
And when I found out about this, I literally went down a spiral. I went down a rabbit hole on her um, Instagram. And I almost found myself doing the very thing that many of the people in the comments were doing, which was, it looks like everything is fine. She looks like she's okay. And I do this. And I literally had that thought come up as well. And what I want anybody listening is to understand that what we see, what we present is just the picture we want you to see. And you know, if we're honest, we're not to put all of our business on social media. Anybody that has a little bit of maturity knows that social media is not to pour all of that. So it's just a glimpse. And we want to make sense of it, Roland. That's what's that. We want to make sense of it. But the truth is, when the pain is to that level, once the pain is triggered to that level, in the midst of that moment, trying to make sense of it is not the answer. I truly believe that this idea of expect of perfection, this idea of having it all becomes a weight to the very point we made. It becomes a weight that is entirely too heavy for someone to carry. And so the hidden pain, the unspoken pain, the heavy weight is what we didn't see on social media. She was trained, hear this, she was trained to turn on. So that's what she did on Instagram. We don't know what was going on when the phone was down. To, to that point, in terms of how we deal with it, um, um, it's very interesting when you tell people, kiss my ass. I have people sit here on social media. I, I crack up these people. Man, you need to just go ahead and cut all your hair off. And I tell them, I give no shits about what you think about my hair. I get up in the morning, I brush it, I walk out. I don't care. I'm not caught up in, oh my God, I don't have a full head of hair. Folks will comment on your weight, on your clothes, they'll comment on your height, they'll comment on, and I'm literally like, mm, I don't give a shit what y'all think. And I've actually had that attitude my entire life. I really don't. And I'm thankful for that because I know other people who they get so, oh my God, do you see what they said about my clothes? I'm like, I don't care what they say about your clothes. And to me, I think we have to be fortifying young people very early on and listening and watching out where they're not so locked into this designer clothes. What are you wearing? Uh, I remember being in, being in junior high school, kids were laughing at my shoes and I'm like, y'all didn't pay for them. And so there was, there was, there was, there was, there was a level of training of education that I got from my parents and from my grandparents where I was conditioned not to be so concerned of what people were saying externally about me that allowed me not to sit here and fall into those peer pressure traps. And I think part of the deal is we have to be very conscious as adults that we're not passing that thing on to our children based upon our insatiable desire for the material. Robin, your thoughts on that? Okay, because I said I'll jump in for sure. So, Roland, first of all, I want you to understand that that ability that you have to not be triggered by public opinion is a gift. Quite frankly, it's a gift that you and my husband Lee may have very, very uh, uh, similar. 
Um, and so I will be honest with you. I'm just going to go. I, I tell people I share my stuff so you don't have to share yours. I don't have that trait. I absolutely do care. It absolutely does bother me. And I'm a grown 47 year old woman who has had to learn to put the boundaries in place, to put the filters in place and to teach myself not to be consumed by it. I cannot. I have not. I'll say I have not gotten to the point where I just don't care. Where I have gotten now is that I'm not consumed by it. But what you're talking about is the importance of two characteristics, understanding resilience and and building up your own self-confidence. Resilience and self-confidence, I think, is a skill that or emotional intelligence that we can teach our children. But the truth is, Everyone does not have that. And let's say this. Let me just say this also. There is an aspect of wanting to, um, of us needing to be considerate and intentional about about not living a life where we don't listen to opinion at all. So this is how I teach my children. I tell them to identify who their advisory board is. Who are the two or three, maybe three or four vetted people? I hope my my husband and I are on that list. But who are the vetted people that you will listen to because you know they have your best interest? And then you can... Uh, silence out the rest of the noise. And so I think definitely it is a skill. It is something that we have to teach our children. For a lot of us, Roland, it does not come naturally. No, I understand. But, and even those two or three people, whatever. Um, it's, but again, I, it, it, the, the thing that I am, as I, as I look at this, uh, and I'm going to go to Teresa first, uh, the, the reason why, to me, this, this is so critically important because I remember get, I remember being in, a, a fr- I was a freshman, and I was at Yates High School. I'm in the band. And um, we had these battles because I came in as a freshman first year. And folks were mad as hell at me because it was like this whole deal. You can't be a freshman first year. And I'm kind of like, all right, what a competition at. I mean, in band, you have to beat me out. Well, you don't. They actually brought some former people, former students who were in the band at TSU to try out against me. And I was like, bring your ass. Was not concerned. And what was a trip? Because they were like, why are you so cocky? Like, I'm not cocky. I was trained. Now, if you want to beat me, put the music on the stand and let's go. And folks were, and it was like this whole, it was like this, they, they like really were pissed off because. I wasn't buckling to, you can't do this because you're a freshman. The reason that is important is because, again, it's how we deal with things in life when we're in competition, when we're battling with people, and when you don't let someone intimidate you, punk you, beat you down, and cause you to start doubting yourself. To me, arrogance was thinking you first chair, but you don't prepare to be first chair. Confidence was... I put in the work. Y'all want to take it from me? Let's go. And I, I and I look at how I look at nieces and nephews. I look at other people. I look at how parents talk to their kids and what they say and do. And I just think for a lot of us, we're not paying attention to folks early on in terms of how they need to be dealing with what's going to be thrown at them in life. Teresa, uh, your thoughts on this subject, even a question for Robin if you have one. Well, one, thank you, Robin, for um, literally that entire approach. I didn't have a point in your dis- uh, your dialogue where I didn't disagree. So I, I 
thank you for that. Um, I don't necessarily have a question for you, but to the topic that we're talking about right now is um, dealing with the pressures that we need to succeed. Um, look, I think there there is a whole bunch of um, um, opportunities where parents need to kind of step up, right? I think we have a lot of young parents that hasn't really fully grown themselves. Um, I'm not a young parent myself, so but I have a lot of friends who are. And I think a lot of it is, is that growth period. It's not just having the kid that makes you an adult and makes you grown, but it, it's about the teachings, it's about the advisors, it's about those who are, are giving you that positive energy and that, that positive um, um, network to, to really allow that kid to be who they want. And so because we're living in a society where uh, anytime you make a post, it can be shared and retweeted and social media is, is when it first started, was causing so much havoc. Um, and now we have cyberbullying. We have a hotline for that. Um, we're now seeing that once you put yourself out there, you can't take it back. And so some of those pressures are even, you know, in relationships. And I have a nephew. He's 16. So I'm constantly telling him whatever picture that you take um, and, and whatever you do and everything you post will be watched and will be um, shown to you in the future. So be very careful about it. But I, I, I think like, again, like you said, the advisors are something that is necessary. Um, obviously, everybody's not going to be so confident and so independent early on, but it also depends on where you come from. And so, you know, I think, you know, if, even if I look at myself or I look at my friends, um, it, again, the company you keep will absolutely pave the way for your destination. Is it parents should step yeah, up? Robin, is it parents should step up or should some of them step back? I think it can be a combination of both. And you guys, I want us to really consider this. This is so interesting to me. As I parent and my husband, I parent our three daughters, y'all. It is literally getting a PhD in each of their individual personalities. Right. My oldest daughter, I promise you, she has all of my husband. She does not care. She is not moved and she is not bothered. But baby, that middle daughter of mine is. And so that baby of mine thinks the world wakes up when she wakes up. And so we have to really understand our individual child, their makeup. And if you're a parent who's listening right now, one of the first things you can do, I tell people all the time, education is extremely important to me. As a mother, these children and their grades are very important. I got an email from the teacher today that said one of my daughters didn't do her homework. She's going to get the business. But more important to me, than their academics. And this is going to be surprising when my husband and I both have higher degrees. More important is to me is their emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is really the factor that will help you stay safe and continue to develop fully as an adult. And so if there's a parent listening who is into this conversation, one of the first things I want you to do is go on Amazon or just Google a feelings chart. Order the feelings chart and put it on your child's wall and teach your child how to identify what they feel. You hear young people say all the time, I just feel some kind of way. Well, no. What is the feeling? Because it's very important that we are able to process what we are experiencing so that somebody can help us come to some resolve. And so if there is a parent, that's your first takeaway. Order you a feelings chart, put it on your child's wall. And low key, you might need to put it on your wall so you can understand feelings yourself. 
I, see, I was about to tell a story when I was at TV One uh, where I had to let, call FYF, but I, I, I'm going to deal with that one later. Uh, <laughs> Mustafa, uh, go ahead. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, I, I struggle with this particular topic. When I was in college, a good friend and teammate um, actually took his life. And, you know, it was like folks only talked about it for a day. And then it was like he didn't really exist anymore. And I know for communities of color, we often don't want to have to deal with that. Um, and, and I carried a lot of uh, anger for a long time because I was mad at myself for not seeing that he was in that much pain um, and, and for not asking or knowing what the questions were to ask. So I know there's so many people watching. How do we make sure that we are staying connected to folks, um, even though folks sometimes, you know, they, 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 um, they have these veneers on where we think everything is all right, um, but it's not. And, and I just want to make sure that that never happens again. Um, and I know I need emotional intelligence um, to be able to, to, yeah. to navigate and, and to let go of some of the things. You know, I want to first tell you, I'm so sorry that that was an experience for you. And I can totally imagine how, can only, I'm sorry, imagine how devastating it it was. And, you know, this is going to be really tough, but I'm going to go here. One of the things I saw a lot, particularly after this, and I've seen it many times before, you've seen the memes that says, check on your strong friends. And I understand the sentiment behind that. And we should, we should, we should check on all of our friends. But the idea of that almost places the blame on everybody else when what we need to do, and this is what I do for a living, I create safe spaces for tough conversations. What we want to be able to do with the people in our life is to make sure that we have created spaces where we can really go there, where I can ask you, no, girl, I saw that you said you were okay on Facebook, but I know my girl, you've been isolating a little bit or being able to say, now, girl, I know we've been enjoying ourselves, but you didn't have one too many drinks, girl. That's not your normal pattern. Creating those safe spaces. And here's the deal. Those safe spaces have to be continuously created. Now, you may not be able to do that with all 50 of your friends, but you may make a pact. Somebody listening right now, you may make a pact with about five of your closest friends and you're going to say, we're going to be each other's safe space and we're going to have the courage to ask each other the hard questions. And if you're not answering the call, girl, after about three days, you already know we're going to show up on your doorstep. I want us to make intentional efforts to have safe spaces so that we can dialogue and then make sure that you're normalizing even in your own circle normalizing therapy saying it is nothing wrong be careful of using the crazy word or or uh, dismissing or minimizing people who get help encourage it talk about it even if you yourself have to have a list of therapists in your phone that you just send to people hey girl I know you may need some help or I'm talking to you so you might say hey bruh I guess that's what y'all say you might say, hey, bro, I want to make sure you know that we can chat. And so what we want to do is not take on the response. If, if my heart breaks for her family, my heart literally breaks for her family because I know the journey they're going to go on. And I know that there is going to be so much questioning that they're going to have. 
And so unfortunately, I can't keep them from that, but hopefully we can help someone who's watching now create safe spaces, encourage those you love to seek help. But if you are the person who is hurting, if you're the person in pain, I want you to make sure I always leave Roland with three things that I want you to know. I want if you're the one hurting, I want you to first admit it. I want you to um, make sure you ask for help. And then I want you to accept the help. If you're watching me right now and you know you're in despair and you know you're heavy, that's what I want you to do. I want you to admit it. I want you to ask for help. And then I want you to accept the help. Demario. Man, it's one of the most powerful conversations I've been involved in on this show. I really appreciate it. This is a very, very personal uh, situation or topic for me um, when I learned about this young lady dying and then learned about her background all the things she named off before 30 you know I've been on that track you know I've been at the law school I got the also the master's degree I did the national executive board stuff I did all the accolades and being a shining star from my hood and all that stuff Built my law firm 2007 to 2012, 13. We were just flying high. Everything was great. Hit a bad spell. Things was just really going bad. And yeah, I can have the exterior outside like, man, I'm the man, I'm Demario, whatever. But internally, as my sister just said, hey, man, I was, I was struggling. I kept that so strong inside of myself that out in Los Angeles, California, my wife, she's filming something. I wake up one morning, I got Bell's palsy. And for those who don't know what Bell's palsy is, it's twisted my face over. I couldn't talk. That's what I did for a living. I talked. I couldn't talk. I thought I had a stroke. Luckily, I didn't have a stroke. It was like this, with like Bell's palsy for about two, two and a half months, almost three months. I wouldn't have told you I had Bell's palsy. You wouldn't know. I was very fortunate to have full recovery. But it was stress. It was the lack of getting... Um, counseling because at that time I didn't think brothers got counseling. I thought that was somebody if you were crazy or you you were weak, you had to get therapy or counseling. And then, you know, just still come a few months years later, my wife and I struggling with infertility for over 10 years finally brought me to the point of man, I need it. I can't do all this by myself. And I've been in therapy now going on three years and it's been the best decision of my life. I go mostly weekly. Shout out to Dr. Dr. Siri, my therapist. And so, you know, if, if you if, if you need help, as the sister just stated, get the help you need. This is real. This will cause you to break down your families, break down your bodies. And as we saw with the good sister who uh, appears that committed suicide, you know, she she, she lost her, she took a life. And uh, men in America, what we deal with as black people is serious each and every day. It is an attack on every facet of our emotional, physical, and spiritual beings. It is not enough just to pray. It is not enough just to uh, hang out. It is not enough just to say, I'm going to be cool. You have to get the help you need. And I know, Roland, you had on the hotline if somebody's having suicide uh, prevention. I think this sister, Dr. May, uh, her number should be up and other therapists' numbers should be up and, and, and normalize what you said, uh, Dr. May. I can, I'm proud with my boys now. We talk about therapy all the time. 
we have a safe space on our WhatsApp app. It is something that we can talk to. And I still got people in my family. It's not just young parents. <laughs> it's not just young people. In fact, for most, I'm 45, so most black people older than us, you talk about a therapist, you say, hey, I ain't crazy. We got to have those conversations with our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, and, and make them understand, you know, the things that we're holding on to, that trauma that we're holding on to. It's really causing us problems. So I just really appreciate this segment because it's real. It don't matter who you are, how tough you think you are. We all need help. We all need to have a better emotional opportunities to express ourselves, get stronger. So I appreciate this segment, Roland. And I appreciate Dr. May and the doctor that was on earlier that had to get off earlier. Appreciate it. Robin? You know, I want you to know um, very clearly, I had chills listening to you, and I truly believe that that what you just said almost needs to be put into a bite and and blasted around because you as a black male saying that so confidently and so boldly, I truly believe you just changed some lives. And so thank you for that. And absolutely, what I want us to understand, and this this is so important because you talked about the stress you were carrying and, and being on the same track that she was. And what I want us to understand that you might have been listening to him and you might have said, well, that's not my thing. I don't have that kind of pressure. Whatever your weight is, here's the deal. If I go to the gym, Okay, I don't go to the gym. But if I were to go to the gym, um, let's say I'm 15. <laughs> let's just say I don't even know. I don't know. Can I lift 100 pounds? Let's say I'm lifting 100 pounds. You like, I go to the gym. Let me stop lying. I don't go to the gym. Let me go. <laughs> I, ain't gonna, I ain't gonna even lie. I'm a first lady. First ladies ain't gonna lie. So if I'm at the gym and I'm lifting 100 pounds, and this woman next to me is lifting 200 pounds, she can look at me and think that I'm not doing anything. But this hundred pound is heavy for me. Why am I saying that? Just because it's not heavy for you doesn't mean it's not heavy for the next person. You don't have to minimize what you are carrying. So while his story may not have been your story, while my story may not be your story, whatever you're carrying is heavy. And I want everybody to know, I say this just about every time I'm on Roland Martin, but what I want all of us to understand that what all of us have been carrying collectively not only with the pandemic, but definitely with the pandemic, but also with the social and civil unrest that has been going on now for just about two years to a higher level than it has in our lifetime. Those two things alone rise to the level of a trauma. If you watched any of the videos with the brutality that has occurred, it rises to the level of a trauma. That alone is worth seeking help. And then I wanted to say this as we begin to close, Roland, and to everyone on the panel, we talk about expectations and we talk about um, this beautiful young woman, the expectations she carried, but we have to realize she was in an industry filled with expectation. Mm -hmm. She was in an industry that was all about what you look like and how you present. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I want us to make sure that we're doing is that we are teaching others and that we're teaching young people and that we ourselves understand. I know it can sound like fluff, but we really need to understand values-based living. Who are you really? What do you really desire? What do you really long for? What really matters to you? If you are all about the Benjamin, do people say, still say the Benjamins? If you're all about the Benjamins, I want you to peel back the layers and figure out why. What is the value? Why is that important? Because when you're very clear on your values, 
and you're living according to your values. Your values can serve as a blockade, as a block, as a filter from all the noise around you. It's just one of the strategies that can help you build resilience. You know, I don't want her life to be in vain. So if anything we can do, we can all decide today that we're going to do one thing to care for our souls, one thing to make sure we're building up our mental health, making sure we're reaching out to somebody that we love. That's how we can honor her life, by doing one thing differently than we did before. I'm going to close with this. Uh, and uh, and I need people to understand in terms of how, you, again, how you must change your thinking. Um, trolls, my haters, they, they love to say stuff like, oh, uh, you just sitting here, uh, saying this stuff for the white man to get a job back on a network television. <laughs> now nah, I'm good. See what they don't understand is I'm happy for brothers and sisters who are at those places, but that ain't me because what people don't understand, and again, what I'm trying to people understand is how do you measure yourself? I don't go, oh, uh, so-and-so got this. So-and-so got this. No, I've always measured myself by me. See, when your expectation is your own personal expectation, then you're not driven by what other people uh, have, what pe other people are driving. You know, when we did, when we, when I, I said this before, when we, when we, um, uh, Back in December 2020, when I purchased our Mercedes Sprinter for the show for us to be able to broadcast across the country. The next month, I said, damn, this is the first Mercedes I ever owned. I started laughing in my driveway. Now, why did I laugh? Because I grew up with people who were fixated. It was like, oh, my God, I got to get this car. I got to get this car. I ain't never really give a damn about a car. Seriously. I could not wash my navigator for a year and really wouldn't care as long as it keep running. <laughs> See, again, it's when you aren't so concerned and you don't allow the external forces to drive this. It's when you allow this to say, this is what makes me happy. This is what makes me feel good. And I am measuring myself by this. So for me, when I look at this studio, I look at staff, when I look at places we're going, we're covering. I'm perfectly happy. I'm good. I'm not worried about somebody who's making $10 million. I shout out my girl, Angela Rye. Go to my computer. She just signed a deal with a special correspondent at ESPN uh, for the next year. Congratulated her. I don't feel as if, oh, my God, why do they call me? I'm glad they call her. Great. But a lot of people continue to measure themselves by what their friends have, their frat brothers, their sorority sisters, their church members, and their colleagues as opposed to saying, what makes me happy? What makes me content? And so I think a lot of folks, uh, again, who are, no matter, I'm 53, Demar, you talked about it. A lot of us need to be looking at ourselves a lot differently in terms of what do we value? Because oftentimes that stress and anxiety is really from that external stuff that in the end, you can't take that shit with you anyway. Why are you letting it drive your ass crazy now? We have to also encourage therapy. There's a brother who on the channel says, oh, therapy is for rich folks. No, it's not. We had the brother on the show with the coffee shop in Chicago where proceeds are going to support 
uh, mental health. There are resources that are out there. We have churches, we have community centers, we have different avenues. That people are providing the necessary services. So for us, let's stop making excuses that say we can't afford it or people in the hood can't afford it. What we should be doing is letting the folks in the hood know where to get it. That's what we should be doing. Robert, Robert, May, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Uh, folks are asking, uh, how can they reach you? Do you have a website, anything like that? Yes, it's robinmayonline.com. And I just have to say to the brother who said therapy is too expensive. Listen, clinicians of color, that's a whole group called clinicians of color. But clinicians of color, most of us do something to, pro to provide low-cost therapy. So don't let that be an excuse. Again, my website is robinmayonline.com. All right, Robin, tell them kids they're doing too damn much. I'm gonna tell them, Uncle. I'm gonna tell them my frat brother. Tell them they doing too much. I ain't look. You think I ain't lay? Hey, y'all, y'all nice. I'm like, look, I ain't, I ain't. Look, my parents had five kids <laughs> in four different schools. My dad was like, look, I ain't doing all this damn driving around. He hated to pick me up from school communication events where he was like. You got to stay late. I was like, look, man, this is going to set me up. <laughs> he cool now because all that picking up, he benefiting from that. But, uh, but the point is, he was like, man, y'all like, got one activity each. Five kids, one activity each. You don't get more than that. Uh-uh, that's too much. I'm going to tell him Uncle Roland. I'm just going to tell him Uncle Roland said it. go, real quick. I just want to say it's clear that you didn't listen to any advisors because you pledged Alpha. So you didn't have to tell everybody you don't listen to anyone. He did right. Every day. He did right. Ski five. You didn't listen right. to some better advisors. No, no. You might have been a little bigger, but you know. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't need advisors because all I did was read. And I read Thurgood Marshall. And I read Dr. King. And I read Duke Ellington. Well, you know and I read, I'm not done. I'm not done. And I'm not done. And I read. And I read Jesse Owens, and I read Ralph Metcalf, and I read John A. Johnson. So if you would like for me to continue reciting all the names of prominent alpha men, we don't have that much time in the day to do so. I'm just letting you know. And yes, we know that an Omega created Black History Month, but alpha, we celebrate Black History 365. Robin, thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. Uh, and Mustafa. Thank y'all for having me. And, and see, thanks a lot. And you notice I even asked for backup because Mustafa's also an alpha. So just sit there and be quiet, Demario. All right, y'all. We come back. Our marketplace segment, a, a sister. Black-owned construction company. Her and her dad started. He passed away, but she is continuing the vision. Y'all don't want to turn. Y'all don't want to miss this because we're talking about Black folks who own, not those who are waiting on a check from somebody else. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, 100% Black owned. I want you to stick around at the end of the show because, first of all, I'm going to give you all a sneak peek into the 10-part docu-series uh, that we are doing uh, on the 1619-2019 year of return. 
Uh, y'all get to see that, and so y'all want to stick around for that also after the show. We'll be streaming, uh, of course, Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, the conversation we just had. Well, we have a weekly show that's all about that, helping you live a balanced life. And so, again, you want to stick around uh, for that because we got some great content, and that's what we're doing here on the Black Star Network. Uh, so it's phenomenal stuff. Of course, uh, we launched Deborah Owen's show on Monday. Uh, yesterday, uh, we, uh, of course, we also launched uh, today. Uh, Dr. Jackie Hill Martin show tomorrow. We got our next uh, rolling, rolling with Roland with uh, director uh, Bill Duke. Uh, y'all remember him uh, from Minnesota Society? Yeah, y'all remember. You don't? Yeah, yeah, you remember that. Uh, then also today we kicked off uh, Friday Muhammad's Daily Show, and then uh, on Thursday, uh, Thursday or Friday, tell, tell me which one, Keenan. We're dropping Dr. Greg Carr's show, The Black Table. And so, again, fantastic rollout of the new shows this week, and so it's great. All right, we often talk about home ownership. We often talk about, of course, uh, construction in terms of us uh, getting businesses and leasing. But what happens when we actually are on the building side? Well, SR Construction is a black-owned uh, pre-stop shop based uh, in Houston, Texas. That's right, folks. Uh, services include project management, uh, of course, uh, sheeting, painting, and clearing as well. Sakara so Ross, she's the president of SNR Construction. She joins us right now from the greatest city in the world, my hometown. Hello, guys. How you doing? Oh, wow. Houston's your hometown. I'm born and raised there. I did not know that. Jack Gates okay. High School. Come on now. Which one? JY. Oh, Yates. That's right. That's how we roll. So let's get let's get right to it. Um, was this something that you actually wanted to do uh, growing up? How did where did, where did this idea of a construction company come from? So no, it was not something that I initially wanted to do growing up. Um, my grandfather was a carpenter in the 1950s, so my father had a lot of experience um, in construction with carpentry and. I would always see him doing things around the house to improve or even just little projects for, you know, friends or family members. So I've always been around it, but I never really had the desire um, until later on in life. I just had the idea to give back to my dad and create a family legacy. So that's really where um, the company originated. I've always had an entrepreneur um, spirit. So I figured, hey, you know, I'm going to start this company. I'm going to start it for my dad and give him something to do management-wise as he grows older because, you know, my father was, he was a very active man and he was always physical. But we all know as we age, sometimes, you know, you have to slow down and you're unable to do those things. So it was really me um, with the intentions of blessing him. And about a month after I started the company, my father passed. So that blessing for him um, turned out to be a blessing for me. Um, and it's allowed me to take care of myself since my father's passing. When did y'all start uh, the company? Uh, 2017. 2017. Well, the end of 2016. But when we had the hurricane in 2017, that's really when we first got like our bulk of um, business. So that's when we took off. And so why home construction and not commercial? Actually, I've done a little bit of both. Um, so we started out with schools. We started out like repairing schools that got damaged in um, Hurricane Harvey. And then, of course, I got all my city certifications with the um, Houston Business of Opportunity. And that's where I was led into doing residential because there was such a demand 
and home, like with home repair for these people who've been pretty much displaced with the, the hurricane. So that's just something that was there right at the time that I started the company. So we've consistently been blessed with working on that project for the last four years. But, um, you know, construction is it's, it's very large. It's a large industry. And I've also tapped into civil. And, I, you know, as I've been in this industry, I've had my, my challenges, but I've also been welcomed by so many people um, because I am a young woman and I'm an African-American woman. They've been very receptive and they've, they've given me so much insight and helped me along the way, which has allowed me to experience other areas of the industry that, that I never even thought about. So I've worked on civil projects. I've done inspections for a heavy underground utility project. And um, that has also led me to do concrete work. And um, it's just we're constantly being exposed to things and growing. And it's just been a blessing. So uh, I'm not limited to only residential. Got some other questions, uh, but I'm going to bring my panel right now. Let me go to uh, Teresa Lundy. Teresa, you get the first question. Well, one, congratulations. Um, I know it is not easy building a business, but um, my question to you is, have you uh, been getting some support from the real estate market? Um, what type of research have you been doing in order to stay up on some of the updates and some of the nuances that's happening since the pandemic? Um, well, I've definitely been watching how the materials, of course, the pricing has gone up. Um, and you know, I've really been working on expanding the business, doing more rehab work. For me, because the materials are going up, it's I think it's more um, cost efficient to go in and do rehab as opposed to trying to do new builds right now because lumber has gone up like crazy. Um, all the main materials, especially with inflation, everyone's going up on their prices. So I've just been staying on top of that and trying to make sure that you know, I make the decisions that are best for my company so that we can continue to see movement and growth, but also be smart and not jump out there and, you know, do things that may potentially put us in a bind. Mustafa. Yeah, I'm always interested in supply chains and also uh, the, the folks that we hire. So the question is, um, when you are dealing with supply chains, do you also focus on getting those from African-American or other people of color companies when possible? And then the second part to the question, well, I'll let you answer that. I absolutely try to get my supplies from African-Americans, and I also try to employ them as well. And those both areas have been challenging, um, but yeah, there I've found some success in them as well. Second question, Mustafa. That she got the second question because I was curious about uh, for black and brown communities. Then you already mentioned that you've been looking for those employees, and uh, are, is now, are you currently navigating that process? Yeah, you know that was also um, very important to me. I wanted to give people opportunities, especially I want to give all people opportunities. Um, however, I would love to give people opportunities who look like me that may not have an easier um, way of navigating and, and entering those rooms to get those opportunities. So that is my primary focus. Um, I've, I've been able to find people to partner with, but as far as finding people to um, do the work, the trades, it's been challenging. It's been more Hispanic um, workers. I worked on a concrete project maybe about three months ago, and I started out with four-man crew, and you know, 
they were very skilled and knowledgeable, but they just couldn't get along and work together. And it just was hard to watch. Uh, so maybe like two weeks within the project, I had to bring in some other people and mix it. And um, we got through it, but it's just, it's been a struggle. I, I really find more um, Hispanic workers, especially being in Texas, they're everywhere. Mario. Uh, good to meet you tonight. Uh, my question or my comment slash question is, like in our household, uh, my wife, she she loves the construction stuff, building stuff, all that type of stuff. You remind me of her a lot. I noticed that when we have contractors over, like we have right now, we're having some work done, and they talk to her, they don't give her the respect. They don't think she really knows what she's talking about. Uh, she's a pretty woman and it's kind of like, oh, and, and if I'm around, they want to talk to me. But what's funny is like, she really knows more about what's going on than I do. So I'm wondering from the perspective of being the boss lady, not only just dealing with your crews, right, but actually getting the contracts, going into those bids where you're dealing with not only as a black person, but a black woman. Just talk to us about that, how you navigated that, and how did your grandfather and father help you prepare you for that? Well, I grew up, I'm not originally from Houston. I grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas. So, um, small town country girl. I, I have no problem getting Nacogdoches, Stephen L. Austin. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up, I was my, a daddy's girl. So, I was always following my dad around. And, you know, I think I do have a lot of my mom in me, but I've got more of my father in me. So, I was a tomboy and you know, I, I, I have two older brothers, so I think I handled myself pretty well, um, especially in a male-dominated industry. And I just, I carry myself respectful. I don't take any crap. And, you know, you respect me, I'm going to respect you. And I just definitely have to be expert and knowledgeable because, of course, being a woman, they think that I don't know what I'm talking about or, you know, or being an attractive woman, they think that I'm soft or I'm just... You know, I'm, I'm dainty. I, I've had experiences with workers and both um, people, you know, at a higher level. And it's just been, it's been a challenge, but you know, you just, you, what do you do? Life is challenging. You just keep going. You adjust and you keep going. And if there's ever an issue where I feel like an opportunity um, is not given to me because I'm a woman or whatever, that opportunity wasn't for me. There's, there's so many other others out there. And um, I just try to keep myself motivated and not allow myself to be discouraged by that because it, it, it doesn't reflect, it's a, more of a reflection on them. It has nothing to do with me. And I think that there's more women taking up spaces in this industry. And I definitely hope that I can inspire more black women to hold space in this industry um, because I think we're more than capable. And, you know, I'm here. I'm here to stay. Hopefully we'll, we'll grow a lot more. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really let that discourage me. Um, President of SNR Construction in Houston. We we'll certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, good luck uh, in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here, and um, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. See you around H-Town. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. Have Thanks a, a lot. One. All right. Take Bye. care. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, some, some headlines here. 
uh, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. First of all, let me give a big thanks to Mustafa, Demario, as well as Teresa for joining me on the panel. Uh, thank you so very much, uh, all three of you. We come back, I'm going to knock out some headlines, and then we're going to show y'all our sneak peek at the 10-part series on the year of return. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. missing uh and so uh jamaria thompson uh five six hundred ten pounds uh she has black hair brown eyes has been missing from college park georgia college park georgia uh folks uh, uh first of all uh we should be missing from uh she was last seen uh, on january 6th you have any information any information uh with regards to her please call the Forest Park Police Department, 404-366-7280-404-366-7280. All right, folks, we also have uh, some sad news regarding uh, one of the previous stories that we had done uh, on Black and Missing, and that is uh, this young man uh, has been discovered uh, found dead. Uh, we, of course, there's an update here. You says the body of a male positively identified as uh, Taylor Young, 25 years old, was discovered in the trunk of his vehicle in an impound in Dallas, Texas on January 19th. Uh, his body was in advanced state of decomposition. Uh, he, of course, uh, actually was uh, from Houston. Uh, it is uh, uh, stunning when you uh, think about uh, this story that uh, he was found. Uh, Dallas is four hours from Houston. Uh, and so, again, uh, this young man, unfortunately, Taylor Young, uh, was found. Um, and again, 25 years ago, 25 years old, he dis disappeared eight weeks ago on December 9th, 2021, while he was running errands on his lunch break. Man, uh, we certainly send our condolences to his mother, Tiffany Robinson, and the entire family uh, for this. All right, folks, let's talk about uh, several headlines. A Georgia sheriff is offering a $500,000 reward for information surrounding the death of Kendrick Johnson. Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Park, who just last week concluded uh, a second investigation that determined there was no foul play involved, released this statement. At the release of my synopsis of the federal files on the Kendrick Johnson case, uh, his parents have called me a liar and continued to state that Kendrick was murdered. Because of these statements, I am personally, with my own funds, offering a reward of one half million dollars to anyone who comes forward with information that results in the arrest and conviction of a person for the alleged murder of Kendrick Johnson at Lowndes High School. Anyone who provides information will be required to do so in a contact interrogation at Lowndes County Sheriff's Office. I urge anyone, including the family, to add to this reward if they so desire. Wow, Kendrick's body was found in January 2013 in an upright wrestling mat. Uh, that right there is a sheriff saying, okay, I'm putting it all on the line. 
For the second day in a row, more than a dozen HBCUs received bomb threats this morning on the first day of Black History Month. The schools, Kentucky State University, Xavier University in Louisiana, Fort Valley State University in Georgia, were targeted today. They were already on high alert or lockdown. Monday, some HBCUs canceled classes after they got bomb threats. Eight HBCUs received bomb threats on January 5th. Just like today, no suspicious packages or explosives uh, were found. Uh, also, folks, uh, two Democratic and one independent senator are proposing a bill to protect elections and court votes and count votes in the future. Senators Amy, Angus King, Amy Klobuchar, and Dick Durbin want to eliminate the vice presidential duty of counting electoral votes and make it strictly ceremonial. This plan comes after former President Donald Trump tried to get then-Vice President Mike Pence to overthrow votes in battleground states after the 2020 election. The bill also increases the number of lawmakers needed to make objections. The vice president cannot block electors in this proposal. The bill is still in the early draft stage. Um, folks, uh, also, we were talking about um, uh, another story, and that is uh, in Florida, where several voting and civil rights groups testified in federal court the state's new voting law limits the ability to register voters. Senate Bill 90 restricts mail-in ballots, drop boxes, and outside voter registration groups. The new law requires the groups to explain to prospective voters their application runs the risk of not being delivered within the newly required 14-day deadline. These groups say this is dissuading people from actually registering, which was the whole point of Republicans there in Florida. Uh, in fact, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has also proposed his own uh, a map of new districts that would toss out the congressional district of current uh, Congressman Al Lawson, who is African-American. And so that's now stopping the process from moving forward. Keep telling y'all the goal what these Republicans are doing is all about voter suppression. The questioning of potential jurors has, has been delayed for the trial of a former Kentucky police officer involved in a botched raid that killed Breonna Taylor. Brett Harkinson has pleaded not guilty to three counts of wanton endangerment for allegedly firing wildly into the apartments of Taylor's neighbors. Jefferson Circuit Judge Ann Bailey Smith says Hankinson had to have unexpected minor surgery since he has the right to observe the jury selection process. The questioning is going to begin on Tuesday. Uh, all right, folks, the Justice Department says it will not reopen the federal investigation into the 2014 death of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was killed by Cleveland police. The DOJ notified Tamir's mother after participating in a federal training event for state prosecutors on investigating police misconduct cases. The family had asked federal prosecutors to take a fresh look at the case, but Christian Clark, the department's civil rights division chief, says there's insufficient evidence to open a federal probe. Unfortunately, I uh, hate to hear that, folks. Uh, but we don't hate to hear this. A New Hampshire state representative lost her committee seat after using a racial slur against a black male activist. Representative Nicole Klein-Knight used the N-word and called security on the activist after giving testimony last month. After several civil rights organizers sent a letter about her poor behavior, the Democrat was removed from her assignment on the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee. The organizers allege Knight used to be an ally, but her recent actions put the black man's life at risk, and her behavior has become increasingly dangerous. Mm, mm, mm. All right, folks, uh, here's the deal. Uh, let's talk about uh, the McDonald's scholarship, and that is this here. Uh, you have until February 28th. You now have 27 days. It's a deadline, folks, to apply for this scholarship. It's a partnership between McDonald's and myself, uh, honoring my fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, also Mustafa's, uh, for our, you know, on about 115th uh, anniversary honoring our seven jewels of uh, the scholarship folks uh seven fifteen thousand dollars scholarship seven 
$15,000 scholarships. If you want to apply, go to tmcf.org. That's tmcf.org to apply for these scholarships. All of the directions are there on the website. It's open to all HBCU schools, public and private. And so, again, you got till you got till February 20th to apply. All I'm simply saying is, if you got six, 15 grand out there, you want to apply for it. And so, uh, please uh, do so uh, as well. All right, last uh, piece here, folks. Today's business. Uh, and remember, in 2019, I went to Ghana. Uh, for the year of return. Spent 10 days there. We shot a lot of different stuff. We were greatly impacted by COVID because my Ghanaian uh, production team was impacted there. One of the producers actually was stuck in London for four months, could not even fly back to Ghana. And so we've been working on this, working on this, putting this whole thing together. So we're almost finished with it. So in March, we're going to debut uh, this 10-part series. That's right, folks, 10 parts uh, on the year of return, some fascinating things we were able uh, to get there, some interviews. Here's a sneak peek at uh, 1619, the 2019, the year of return. You read about their history, you, know, you talk about, you see it on our side, you know, of the United States, but to actually come here and see where this, this story of slavery started. Um, and connecting the dots. It's just a wild factor for me right now. It's going to be dark inside. You might not see too much, but you're going to feel everything. Just imagine seeing prisons in the yard in the United States. by design. Um, Self-hatred has been a very tragic part of our whole existence. And I'm not blaming anybody for it, but if you look at most characterizations of being of African descent in the world, it's with these kind of tags. I always say, you're going to do a lot of shopping. They go, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> and then they come, so they brought limited reserves, and then they spend all their time running to the ATM uh -huh. because they see all these clothes they want and fabric they want. It's overwhelming. I've been here for eight years, and I'm still taking pictures out of my car because it's just, it's a feast for the eyes on any given day. The kind of opportunities you have in Africa, you don't have those in America. The kind of money that you can make in Africa, very few of you would have that opportunity to do that in America. Cordy, who was working for the Congress in the United States, she has started a waste management company. She's the number one here in Ghana now. She looked at There it is. Used to be jeans. Used to be jeans. Is now a huge In Ghana alone, we have a two million unit deficit in housing. Two million. Two million. Fastest growing economies right now are African nations. Why in the world 
would we not be trying to figure out how to connect? Because the Lebanese are, yeah, the Chinese are, everybody else is doing it. We will be crazy to do it. And these are people who look like us. We will be crazy to do it. Crazy to do it. Crazy to do it. drop that uh, in March. You do not want to miss it. And of course, uh, next week I'll be leaving for Liberia. We'll be covering the 200th bicentennial celebration happening uh, in that country, which was actually founded by uh, freed slaves here in the United States. And so a lot of things that we're focused on, we just don't focus on what's happening uh, here in the United States. Uh, we focus on the African diaspora as well. That's one of the reasons why uh, this is uh, called Black Star Network. Uh, you saw in that last image in there, uh, the, uh, that was from the Black Star, it's called the Black Star of Africa from the uh, Black Star Gate there in Ghana. And Black Star also was the name of the cruise line that Marcus Garvey had uh, to connect people of African descent in America to the African diaspora uh, worldwide. And so uh, that's what we call the Black Star Network. Folks, uh, that is it. Man, we got some great stuff. And again, this is why we ask for your support in terms of what we do. Uh, your resources allow us to be able to do what we do. We want you to also spread the word because we're building this for people to be able to see all across the globe. And so please let folks know they can download the Black Star Network app. That's right, curated by yours truly uh, on your Apple phone or for Apple, uh, for, uh, Apple phone, Android phone. Uh, Android uh, TV, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, and Samsung Smart TV. And, of course, uh, we appreciate uh, your resources. You make it possible for us to do what we do, to be able uh, to do these stories, to travel around the globe and around this country as well. And so uh, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Our goal is to have 20,000 of our fans on an annual basis contribute. Uh, we ask for 50 bucks each. Uh, 50, 50, 50 bucks times 20,000 comes out to be a million dollars. That is crucial for us to do what we do. Uh, last year, y'all gave $827,000. Uh, that was an increase over 2020 where you gave 672000 And so we appreciate every dollar, whether you gave 50, 100, 500, 1,000, 10,000, or 25, 20, 10, 5, 1. Every dollar matters. Uh, you can support us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal's R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Folks, that is it. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget, uh, we're streaming next uh, Balance uh, Life with Dr. Jackie Hood Martin. You don't want to miss that. And tomorrow, uh, you can catch Faraji Muhammad's uh, In the Culture. That's going to be from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And then at 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, we'll be rolling out uh, our, my interview with Bill Duke. That's tomorrow uh, right here on the Black Star Network. I will see you then. Holla! Let me begin and confess I need your healing I made a friend of the fear I have been feeling And I believed the lies it spoke That led me into doubts But I'm calling on your angel armies now
understanding, peace passing understanding, what shall I